The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined today by the returning Nabias Wilborn. What's going on, Nabias? Man, you know, we, we out here, baby. We, let's get this thing going. All right, all right. Me and the boss are also joined by none other than Mr. Tyler Ball. What's going on, Tyler? Hey, what's happening, man? Just uh, got a lot to talk about. A couple of um, our final two division previews and, you know, a certain trade that happened this week. That's right, that's right. But before we get started, just let everybody know you can follow the, the podcast on Twitter at KTS Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Don DeLorente. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at TA Ball One. And you can follow Nabias on Twitter at N Wilborn19. So we'll get right into it as Kyrie Irving finally got his request as he was traded. A lot of people thought he was going to maybe go to a non-contender but he got traded to the boston celtics and the boston celtics gave up a haul of isaiah thomas jay crowder ante zizic and brooklyn's 2018 unprotected first round pick for the one Kyrie Irving. so in the bias we'll let you start man uh, first initial reaction and is there any winners or losers to this trade well i mean it's just first of all it's probably been the most i've covered the nba off and on since 2004 and it's probably been the most active summer I've seen in my time of covering NBA. And this goes back to right when I graduated college all the way through now and just being around talking to, you know, league exec scouts, older media people who've been around. This is definitely the most active summer I've ever seen. And you generally never see a trade within two teams who are essentially trading two of their best players to each other and the teams that expect to see each other in the playoffs, because I think we pretty much expect it to be Boston-Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's pretty much what we expect. It could go, of course, I mean, injuries and things happen, and, you know, maybe Greek Freak um, over in Milwaukee has something to say about this with that crew that they're starting to assemble. Maybe Toronto still has something to say. I don't know. But other than that, I mean, ain't too many teams that I can see that's going to stop, you know, Celtics, Cavs, and they traded essentially two of their best players the Celtics also gave up you know Jay Crowder who we aren't talking about enough as a defender and also as a good three point shooter he's a classic three and D guy um I don't know much about the center I've seen him but I guess I don't really know much about him yet but you know the people around the Celtics are pretty high on him and you know they really didn't want to part with him so we'll see how he fits in because I mean you look at what the Cavs have been putting out there as center for the past couple of years other than Tristan Thompson and, like, five minutes of Andrew Bogut. It's been pretty much trash, I mean, to be honest. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you had a Brendan Haywood that year they won the championship. You know what I'm saying? So they really haven't had a true big, you know, as a backup to Tristan. So that could be a big deal. I think depending on IT's hip, which, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into, and if he's really healthy, which is a whole other thing we got to talk about with this trade, right? Like, is he healthy? Is he ready to play? We don't know. But assuming he's healthy – Assuming Derrick Rose is healthy, assuming Jay Crowder is what he is, the Cavs are, are going to get back to more of what they want it to be as a defensive team because actually they were trash on defense. Now you got guys who can defend. And I, I, th- I still think there's more in Derrick Rose that people are giving an eye. I mean, you know, the Cavs did the best they could, and I think the Celtics did the best they could. So, you know, shout out to them, and we'll see how it plays. Okay. Tyler, uh, your initial thoughts on this trade. Um 
and uh, the thinking that everybody thinks that Brooklyn's going to be better than the Lakers next year. Um, let's start with the, tr- the actual trade. Uh, you essentially got you have Kyrie Irving, and you traded him for a shorter Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I just I just can't see why how each team got better by trading. You know, it's a cross trade. Yeah, I just it, it was it was like. It was like you just taking. Um, it's like checkers when you when you make a jump and your opponent makes the same makes the same jump and you're back where you started. You know the board maybe opened up a little bit, but you're 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 not advanced. You're not advanced. You haven't advanced on your opponent. You know I, I what I'm saying? Know I, I don't know if I agree with that because it depends on. This is also a big picture move, right? Because it's also about what the Cavs are going to be. Let's say if LeBron does leave, as a lot of people are expecting him to. In 2018, right now you have that number one pick, right? So okay, or, yeah, or you got the pick. pick. You've got the pick, but at the same time, isn't part of keeping LeBron being able to win right now? Well, as I'm saying, I mean, I but I don't know if there was a move that was going to make them better. But you weren't going to be better with Kyrie if he didn't want to be there. That's not generally how it works. Like basketball is the one sport where a player, particularly a guy like Kyrie, because he does have the ball. He is an integral part. If he don't want to be there, it ain't going to work. I mean, because Kyrie could not say that Kyrie would throw games. I don't think he would do go to that level. But he could be very disruptive to the point to where the Cavs are worse off. If Isaiah Thomas, again, assuming he's healthy, which is a big assumption because right now, as we record this, the Cavs and the Celtics are going back and forth on if this trade is even going to be officially consummated. Because, I mean, that's why they do the physicals. Because it's one thing for a team to give their reports and say, hey, this guy's healthy. The other thing, when your doctors see that guy. So we don't know. But assuming the trade goes through, assuming Isaiah Thomas is healthy, maybe Isaiah Thomas and, Le- and LeBron get along well. Also, like I said, they added Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose averaged 18 points a game last year as a third option. You know what I'm saying? Um, obviously, he's had the issues with the health, but he was pretty healthy last year, and he was pretty good. And I think the Cavs will expect even less out of him. The Cavs have a chance. I don't want to say they're going to beat the Warriors, but they have a chance to be better than they were last year, and at least better than they were in the finals. Because, again, there's reports of Kyrie not being engaged during the finals. You cannot have a guy on your team, particularly a guy who does as much as Kyrie does, who doesn't want to be there. I would weigh in to say that I think Boston has taken a step back just in this offseason because losing Avery Bradley and now losing Jay Crowder takes a lot of their defense away from them. And that's really what they've kind of had over everybody else. They've been very consistent on defense the last couple of uh, years. And now with losing Crowder and uh, Avery Bradley out front, now you just left with Marcus Smart. I mean, they had like four guys who were like really good at defense. Now they only have one now that Marcus Smart is the only one left on the team. So I, I, I think that Boston's going to get a little bit worse. I guess that Boston's whole thing is we're just going to try to outscore teams. Hey, if we're going to look at this thing going forward to try to beat the Warriors, you're going to have to get up there to 120. Well, I mean, hey, keep 115, so. Keep in mind, Gordon Hayward's a better defender than he's giving credit for, man. I mean, obviously he's playing more of a big, but. That guy can defend too, and, and you still got Al Horford. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think they're going to be as bad defensively as people think. I think mm-hmm. they're definitely going to be better offensively. But again, right. are they going to get past Cleveland? I don't know. But either way, I'm intrigued, and, and I think more than anything, the NBA has put itself in a situation where, when October comes, 
Like typically, you know, typically you know how it is. Like it, it, most people don't consider the start of the NBA season until Christmas Day, right? I right. think for me, for me, I, I'm ready. I'm ready in October. I, I like I, Boston's pieces, though. Um, you consider uh, consider Gord. You see Gordon Haywood. You have Marcus Morris. You have uh, Smart. You have uh, Jalen Brown. Uh, of course, you got your uh, your pick at Tatum. So yeah, you've got pieces that if you want to run, you can run. I just want to see. I want to see how they operate with Kyrie when the when when it's half court. Uh, who's going to be able to get the shot when? When you're in a half court set, is Kyrie going to dribble the ball endlessly for about for about 20 seconds and then look to look to get to the basket, or is he going to kick it out to a Hayward three off a of penetration, or is Tatum going to get the ball maybe in the post and be a ball stopper? So you got interesting pieces, but how are they going to work together to make the offense work? Is what you know? I guess that's why you got Brad Stevens. He's supposed to make it work. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about having lead guards is um, you definitely need uh, a playmaker to to go with it. That's the reason why LeBron was so adamant about them getting a backup point guard. He's like, you know, even though he's a point guard in theory, I, he's just the lead guard. I'm the dude who has to get everybody involved and make the right pass and, and clock running out, make the decisions. We need somebody else that can do that so I don't have to be the only person. And I think Boston's going to run into that problem really fast, too, is you're going to need somebody else on the court at all times who can move the ball, who doesn't need it to you know, necessarily be in their hands for the whole you know, last 15 seconds of the shot clock to get a shot off. So, yeah, Brad Stevens definitely will have the volume turned up on his coaching ability this year uh, for sure. He be, he will be scrutinized like he hasn't been before. Um, he was starting to kind of get a little bit of the that hot seat going in the playoffs, but then Isaiah Thomas got injured, so it kind of gave him a, a little bit of a buffer. But uh, I don't think he's going to get any excuses from the media this year if this thing starts to go sideways or Kyrie starts to kind of exhibit some of the things that he showed in Cleveland that kind of, uh, you know, stalled their offense and made them kind of bog down. Uh, any just last uh, thoughts on the, on the trade or, or like, you know, Jay Crowder, how does he fit into Cleveland? Uh, how does he make them better? Um, you know, are you surprised that Kevin Love for such a haul that Kevin Love didn't get, you know, shoehorned in there somehow? Since I know nah, Boston I mean, has always flirted with him. I mean, look, man, like I said, I think that the Cavs, they did, what they did the best they could do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like you said, if, if Kyrie don't want to be there, you can't have that man there. In mm-hmm. other sports, it may work. Like, in football, say, if a guy is franchise tag, but he wants a contract, i.e., mm-hmm. you know, the quarterback for the Redskins, right? Right. Um, He still ain't got no damn choice. He got to play. In the NBA, the players got a lot more power. And Kyrie could be very disruptive. And I just don't think it works. Like I said, it's this all contingent upon IT being healthy. Right. If he's healthy. Right. And as good as he was last year, then it could be some fun times in Cleveland. If not, then this trade might not even happen, and we just wasted however many minutes having this conversation. So it all depends upon IT being healthy and then how far they go. But I tell you what, October 17th, if he's healthy and he's locked in, October 17th is going to be fun. The other three matchups they have are going to be fun. And potentially Eastern Conference Finals are going to be fun. And it's going to be a really good storyline for the NBA throughout as we see how those two guys match up. Can you imagine All-Star weekend, right? Like, let's say IT and LeBron are All-Stars and Kyrie and Gordon Hayward are All-Stars. And they're on the Eastern Conference All-Star team. How does that dynamic play, right? 
Yeah, yeah, going to definitely be some interesting, uh, some interesting things. Tyler, yeah. any last words before we we move on? Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I saw a a um, a picture that someone tweeted, which was Kevin Garden. I mean, Kevin Durant and uh, Steph Curry laughing in at one of their photo sh- one of their preseason photo shoots. I think that applies here because it's a lateral move, and at the end of the day, even though the teams have gotten better. Still got to deal with Golden State. Right. Right. Now we're going to transition to the NFL as we're going to do our last two season previews as we're going to talk about the NFC East and the NFC South. So we're going to start off with the NFC East. The NFC East, of course, won by the Dallas Cowboys last year, who had just a tremendous season. Um, nobody expected that with the Rick quarterback. Everybody thought Dallas was going to be maybe get the first uh, top five pick because Tony Romo was not going to play start the season. But of course, they, you know, I think, what did they go, Tyler? 13 and 3, 12 and 4? Mm-hmm. They went uh, 13 and 3 with 13 uh, and three. two losses to the Giants and a meaningless loss of the last week to uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. And uh, basically came within a Aaron Rodgers miracle throw and field goal of playing an NFC championship game. So um, they're on top. Giants finished second. Redskins finished third. And then, of course, Philadelphia with their rebuilding project last year finished fourth. So going into this season, of course, the big news in NFC East is the suspension pending six game suspension of Zeke Elliott. I think they are starting to have they're going to have a ruling by the end of the next week coming up. So they'll have a definitive answer on how many games he's going to miss. So Tyler, we'll start with you since you're the resident Cowboy fan here on the podcast. Um, things that worry you, um, if Zeke does get suspended, is this a big deal? Is the media making too much uh, of it? And uh, do you expect to um, have a sophomore slump for Dak? Those two things are relative. Um, my biggest issue is the explosive plays. Um, you, you lose that element of explosive plays that really got Dallas out of a lot of uh, close games that eventually turned into uh, wins going away because Zeke was able to, you know, make one guy miss and then outrun the uh, outrun ankles to, to the end zone. Uh, the real issue that I have in terms of explosive plays is that that strong safety is going to be able to achieve at the line because Dallas is going to bring, even though they're former thousand yard rushers, uh, Darren McFadden and Alfred Morris are in the wings and they're going to be competing. It's likely that McFadden's going to get three quarters of the carries and a quarter of the remaining carries will go to Morris and the other, um, the other backs that you have possibly a Rod Smith or um, if they decide to keep a fullback, you know, he may get some, some goal line situation stuff, but either way, they don't necessarily scare teams defensively. Uh, that strong safety is going to probably be up to play the line. So it's going to be up to Dak to make plays to take advantage of that safety playing up the line by throwing deep balls behind them. And although Dallas had a great season, a lot was publicized last year uh, locally and in uh, coaching circles that Dak was not able to hit teams up and make them pay for uh, extra tight coverage on the uh, Des Bryant's or the um, the guys that you know tend to tend to run deep routes. Uh, you know he missed a lot of those opportunities for big plays. Yes, he threw down. He threw into the um, he threw the slot very well. Uh, he and Cole Beasley had uh, dynamite seasons last year, and they get an extra element 
in a guy, uh, Ryan Switzer, who's a taller version of Cole Beasley. And I expect to see him make some plays this year, uh, particularly in the return game. But Dak has got to be able to hit some throws deep and keep those safeties and those linebackers honest. Uh, because if not, then it's gonna uh, people are gonna watch the Giants film and take advantage and get physical with those uh, Cowboy receivers and not have to worry about being being gashed in the running game. Um, Nabias, I'll open it up to you on Dallas. They made sweeping changes to their secondary. That their overhaul, like their whole secondary. Um, David Irving uh, became famous against Green Bay, but he's gonna miss the first four games. So, does Dallas have enough punch on defense this year? to, um, you know, sustain themselves. They got a, a big jolt last year about the offense being able to keep the defense off the field. But we saw in the game against in the in the playoffs, um, you know, they didn't really offer that much resistance against Green Bay. So is Dallas's defense going to hold them back again this year? Um, good question. It, it's so hard to answer these questions, right? Because, I mean, well, we've seen, what, a couple preseason games, not much. I mean, a lot of those guys came back, they're healthy. So you would assume they would be a little better, right? But, I mean, the NFL really isn't set up for good defenses anymore. I mean, what, what's a good defense in the NFL these days? I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Like, what does that really mean? Because it ain't like 10, 15 years ago when the Ravens were, you know, throwing shutouts and Trent Dilfer was able to win the Super Bowl, right? Like, and I hate the cliche term quarterback-driven league, but it, it kind of is right now because I, I don't know what a good defense Like, for instance, I mentioned, we'll talk about the Falcons later, but their defense was – Really good in the second half of the season. And they were really good for two quarters of that Super Bowl until, well, we all know what happened, right? I mean, so I would say more than anything, where the Cowboys are going to be the most hurt is if Zeke isn't healthy, if Zeke isn't able to play for six games. How to get through those first six games is really a lot of now your best defense is your offense, keeping the ball, maintaining drives, and scoring points. If And the same way the Falcons lost in the Super Bowl, because what happened? The offense started sputtering. So the offense started sputtering going three and outs. All of a sudden, defense had to work more, right? So eventually they get tired and get worn down. If your offense ain't putting up points and being consistent, you're going to have a tough time. Uh, let me add also uh, defensively, um, when it comes to the secondary, um, having have, having looked at what they're bringing to the table, Dallas drafted four defensive backs this year. Uh, and likely two of them uh, – are going to start significant amount of time. They're uh, either going to start or they're going to get a lot of playing time. And mind you, we put a rookie of Anthony Brown who started pretty much the second half of the season and the holdover from last year, uh, Byron, jo- Byron Jones at free safety was, a, well, you know, he was a rookie last year. So uh, that secondary is a serious work in progress. It went literally overnight from, um, a veter- a true veteran in Morris Claiborne, you know, despite his injuries, had a bang up season, went over to uh, the New York Jets, got paid to be a uh, number one corner for the Jets, which isn't saying much, but still he got his check. And uh, Brandon Carr, who's, you know, been kind of uh, much maligned over his tenure in Dallas, but last year he played pretty well. Um, but if, but even then uh, he got replaced by uh, Anthony Brown because we wanted to see what he could do and and eventually uh, the team decided not to pay Brandon Carr and they they went with Anthony Brown. Um, as far as the front seven, you have Sean Lee who's a, who's the mainstay provided he stays healthy. Uh, and then you really don't know what else is there because you have no clue who's going to rush the passer 
Uh, right. That has been Dallas's weakness the past five years is that they can't get to the quarterback. I mean, ever since DeMarcus Ware decided to go and uh, play for the Broncos, they really can't find a guy who can be his man one-on-one and get to the quarterback and create pressure. And they found some guys, but they, they can't stay on the field for the Cowboys. They found a, well, a couple yeah. of three guys, but they, they seem to have off-field problems. So Tyron, Tyron Crawford looked like he could be the guy, but he's hurt. Uh, of course, David Irving, you know, and he, he gets suspended. And, of course, uh, draft pick Randy Gregory, who was going to – who looked great when he was on the field, but now he's in his second uh, major suspension for violating the policy, and uh, most Dallas fans consider his Dallas career to be over. Uh, so you're you're pretty much back at square one. It's all on Sean Lee to make plays, and maybe you get some get another uh, out. You get another linebacker to step up. Now uh, the uh, much talked about pick from Notre Dame from two years ago is uh, actually on the field, and it was a big deal when he got a chance to play in his first um, football action since leaving. Uh, Notre Dame, and that's a lot of positives there. But uh, overall, it remains to be seen what uh, what Dallas can do defensively. And on top of that, they don't force a lot of turnovers either. And that's mm-hmm. that's been an issue that Rob Marinelli was really brought in to uh, to bring to the Cowboys is a aggressive attacking style and to go after uh, stripping the football. And well, and they're still learning. Another thing too, because. These offenses have so many different advantages set in, you know, just way the way the NFL is, you know, it's that's all I don't even want to get into that. But the bottom line is if you aren't getting turnovers, you have a hard time, man. You have a hard time stopping teams. Because that's that's really about the only way you can do it nowadays. It's it's so easy for these teams to go up and down the field. So um yeah. Yeah, but again, is what I'm talking about. Yeah. But again, you know, I think that's one of the things with the NFL and with this parody. Is that every team has holes? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll go, move right. on to a team who actually does have a pretty good defense by the metric of taking the ball away and creating sacks. And we'll shift to the New York Giants. Talk about them. Offseason, they added Brandon Marshall to their receiving core. They also drafted tight end as well. Um, their defense is still a work in progress, but they definitely came on last year to um, out of nowhere to be the the unit that you know provided. Uh, a spark for them to make the playoffs as they really stepped up. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul back to his old self. Um, Landon Collins um, was, I think, the defensive player of the year or runner-up for defensive player of the year. I uh, led the was up in the uh, upper top of the league in interceptions. So Tyler, um, New York Giants, they're still in need of a running game. Uh, they traded for uh, Jeremy Hill from the Bengals here in the offseason to try to put him in the backfield, and maybe they can find some consistency there. Um, they still have offensive line issues as well. Eric Flowers doesn't look like he's working out, um, you know, at left tackle. So uh, what do you see for the Giants? Um, pluses and minuses? Jim, uh, to, to me, the Giants are the team that scares a lot. They can scare a lot of people um, because they have the – they actually are the aggressive second they have the aggressive secondary that can cover your slot guy um it's it's very rare that you see teams that can put three three defensive backs on the field and not have to worry about um you know worry about certain matchups um and that's that's how they beat the cowboys twice last year is because um they got they could uh cover devs with one guy and also have their their safety who was much bigger and uh, you know, in Collins, and he pretty much put the clamps on 
uh, Cole Beasley. And that pretty much created one-on-one matchups across the board. And the Giants were literally physically winning those matchups against the Cowboys receivers both times. So that's what impresses me. Um, Eli, what Eli Manning are you going to get? Uh, that's always a question. Yeah, are you going to get the guy that can that can light you up in the two-minute drill? Are you going to get bad Eli who's led the NFL in interceptions three times over his career? Uh, and, of course, everything that you mentioned. Eric Flowers has been laughable at, at tackle. Still is laughable. He's already been the butt of jokes in the, uh, in the preseason. Uh, uh, the Giants still have no clues on who's going to be their guy to run the football. I mean, it's been a while since they've had a consistent running game, and, you know, teams are just going to live with that, and they'll just spread you out for a wide, and, you know, assuming a healthy Odell Beckham Jr., uh, you're going to have to deal with them throwing the football maybe 35 to 40 times a game. Is that going to be able to get it done? Well, it just depends. I mean, they have a, they can get off to a good start schedule-wise, and, you know, you never know. Um, you know, you do have uh, – you have three of your last four games on the road, but they're 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 beatable teams. So we'll wait and see. Tobias, your initial thoughts on uh, Giants and uh, what you see for their them and their season this year? Well, I mean, look, a lot of it depends on well, depends on two things. One, depends on the arm of Eli Manning. You know, what's who is he? Who is he at this point? I don't know. I mean, he's older, and is he any better? Is he still throwing interceptions? What's that going to look like, right? And then. You know, how healthy is Odell Beckham Jr.? I, you know, I, he's caught a lot of flack this week in the last couple of weeks. And I, I'm kind of tired of it because it's borderline homophobia w- w- that we're leaning on. Like, they keep, and, and I'm really over the word diva in, re- in relation to receivers. I mean, that's just that genderous bullshit that we need to get past as a society, right? Like, if a dude acts a certain way that isn't quote unquote manly, he's a diva or something that is in relation to a female. All right. Like, or same people who like call the Cowboys, the cowgirls or whatever. So you're trying to infer weakness by using femininity as an insult, you know, which is bullshit. And that needs to quit. And I heard a lot of this about Odell Beckham jr. And I've heard a lot of this over a couple of years and it shit needs to stop, man, for real. But that being said, how healthy is he going into the season? He's a big deal for that team. He does matter, and he is one of the best players in the league. And if he's right, and, you know, if Eli Manning doesn't make a lot of mistakes, the Giants could be a anywhere between 8 to 11 wins. And if you're there, then you're in the dance, as um, their former coach would once say. Right. Um, I was very happy that they did not get Adrian Peterson. That was the talk of, in the beginning of free agency that the Giants were going to go hard and try to get Adrian Peterson. I'm glad that that did not happen to go along with adding – Dwayne Harris and uh, Brandon Marshall to their already, you know, receivers of Sterling Shepard and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. So, yeah, they may just at some point just decide, okay, running the ball isn't really worth the effort that it takes and just spread everybody out. But, again, you're going to be having to live with Eli maybe throwing two picks for four interceptions. You know what I'm saying? So, because the more he throws the ball, the more likely he's going to throw it to the other team. It's just, you know, can he double up the amount of touchdowns to offset it? And that's kind of been his MO throughout his career. I think last year he threw 26 touchdowns and he had some like 13, 14 interceptions. So that's kind of about the going rate that Eli works with. Um, his interceptions will be high, but I mean, he'll throw you close to 30 touchdowns too. So if they can get anything out of their running game, though, they're going to be very dangerous because it's going to be hard to double all those receivers and cover those guys like Tyler 
Tyler was saying, most teams just don't have enough quality defensive backs once you get past their top two guys that they start. You know, nickel back comes in, it's a drop off, and then, you know, uh, dime backs and, you know, seven, you know, guys on your depth chart just aren't that good. That's why they aren't starting. So if you can put more receivers out there, quality receivers than defensive backs, that could really play in the Giants' favor this year. So I think their offense is going to be something very fun to watch and that they're going to give a lot of defensive coordinators a lot of headaches trying to stop that passing game. I'm I'm contending that as well because uh, even though Dallas has literally the best slot corner in the league in Orlando Skandrick when he's healthy, I believe they're still going to have problems with the Giants receiving core. Just because I don't think they have anybody on the field that can physically match up with Brandon Marshall. Maybe, and I mean maybe, Byron Jones can, but he's a safety and he's two steps slower than Brandon Marshall. Mm Mm-hmm. Now we're moving to a team who definitely had uh, problems with their secondary last year, even though they acquired one of the top cornerbacks in the league. That would be my beloved Washington Redskins or Washington football teams. Other people like to refer to them as, um, of course, they're coming into a season with a whole bunch of questions. Um, you know, is Kirk Cousins going to be the quarterback after this year? We have whole new receiving core as, uh, Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon left for greener pastures. They were replaced by uh, Terrell Pryor and a rookie that we drafted last year but did not play, Josh Doxson. So they're pretty much going to be the starting outside receivers. Um, Their defense, they tried to upgrade defensively uh, upon the line. They got Alabama rookie Jonathan Allen, um, outside linebacker also from Alabama, Ryan Anderson. Uh, They're going to try Sewer Cravens. Uh, in the back as a safety this year to try to improve the secondary, which was definitely a a weak spot. So, Nabias, Washington Redskins, Jay Cutler, I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, Jay Gruden, excuse me, um, he might be on the hot seat even though he um, got a new deal in the offseason. You know, he's got a lot of holes to fill and a very tough schedule. Mm, They all suck. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) shit. I mean, what you want me to say, man? I mean, you know what Don't tell me my team is going to suck. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, okay, I mean, you want me to say nicely? I mean, shit, what you want, man? I mean, look, look, man. I, I, and it, look, man, I try to tell y'all, man. Like, for me, I, I can take my feelings about things out of it when it comes to sports. Because, again, it, it ain't emotion. You know what I'm saying? For me, I, I'm just an observer and a dude who watches and writes what I see. And I just don't see that <laughs> going to be any good. And... Make sure y'all bleep that, because I don't even want to call them that no more. So bleep <laughs> that out. Uh, don't even have me using that word, because I'm really trying to get that word out of my vocabulary, man. But seriously, man, shout out to my Native American folks. And speaking of that, shout out to the good folks at the University of Illinois for when well, I'll talk about that later. But that being said, ain't going to be no good. I mean, I, I mean, what, what they got, bro? I mean, seriously, dude. Like, I mean, uh, Kirk Cousins ain't – Kirk Cousins isn't – he's such an interesting dichotomy, right? Because he's not trash. But he's also not really good, so I don't know what he is. But he ain't enough to make you, you know, a nine, ten win team when that's all you got. Because, and we're gonna talk about the Saints later. They got a better quarterback in Drew Brees, and they're seven and nine. They fifty fifty. So, what do you think the Redskins? I mean, excuse me, the Washington Football Team gonna do? They gonna do the same thing, if worse, if not worse. So, you know, until Daniel Snyder gets his shit together. And stop trying to be all up in the video. Stop trying to, you know, be everything and just spend his money on quality people. They're gonna always be this because we ain't even talked about how they how they did they de- how they did their GM dirty. You know, they're gonna put that man business out there. You know, now the man admitted he was a recovering alcoholic and he's been working on this shit. And then y'all try to set that man up, get that man, you know, Linehan, get that man out of his job. 
to bring in some other ass clown who doesn't have none of the credibility he has. That's why you ain't got no players. That's why they're going to be trash. And as long as Daniel Snyder owns that team, they're going to always be trash because that's what it is. And it's a shame to, you know, the Jack Kitt Cooks of the world and all those people who built what was once a great legacy of the Washington franchise. And I even ignore the whole fight for old Dixie and they fight song and all that bullshit. But that being said, they going to suck in, in, in summary. All right, Tyler. I, mean, do I don't a... know if I was clear. I don't know if I was clear. Now here's here is the the, the coup de gras, as they say. Uh, the Reds get the uh, Washington schedule is is just ridiculous. Starting in November, well, well, actually, let me take a step back. October 29th, you get Dallas at home. Then there's the run at Seattle, home against Minnesota, at New Orleans, home against the Giants, at Dallas throw away here you got at chargers but your last three home against the cardinals broncos and you end the season on christmas eve at the giants yikes <laughs> we talked about bat. we talked about some bad schedules on here but that's rough yeah not to mention thing, I, I, I will say this though schedule talk is very relative and, and it's something we do all the time as people who watch, who watch the nfl right like as soon as the schedule is dropped Every sports talk show does. Let's break down the schedule and count the wins and losses, right? That's bullshit. I mean, and I say that because we don't really know how good these teams are going to be. But but on paper, you're right. That is, I mean, that's a tough, I mean, NFC, in theory, is a tough road to hoe. But, you know, let's, let's see. I, when I judge a team, I schedule only factor that in. I factor in what they got. And, mm-hmm. and the Washington football team, they ain't got nothing. Yeah, this could be the season that uh, there's two things. They haven't been able to run the football in the past two and a half, three seasons, and and I think a big reason is because Bill Callahan just isn't that good, and he doesn't recognize that we have guys who would rather move guys to the side instead of try to drive them back. But that's not the way that he installs our running game, so we've kind of struggled at running the football. You're right. Kirk Cousins is good enough to put you in positions to win football games and have you win football games, but he's not in a position where he can overcome a bad defense and no running game and have you win football games. So one of those two things has to improve this year for the Washington football team to not just totally have like a three and 13 season with the way that their schedule is set up. Um if they can, that probably the easier thing would be to make the improvement on defense and in the secondary and just not give up as many big plays and give up as many late leads and turn some of those losses that we got in the fourth quarter into wins. Um, the receiving core, I think, is going to probably be the least of their worries because I think with Jordan Reed, uh, Vernon Davis, and Jamison Crowder, that those three guys can can hold the fort down until Pryor and Doxon get some uh, chemistry with uh, Kirk Cousins. So, you know, they have a chance if everything falls right to be eight and eight, maybe have a, you know, outside chance at a wild card, but you know, best case scenario, they're probably going to go six and 10. Uh, They'll probably be competitive in, in a lot of games, but if they can't figure out a way to either sack the quarterback or generate turnovers with their defense, then, you know, they're going to score their points and they're going to be in in their share of shootouts, but they're not going to be able to sustain and, and, bring home enough wind. So that's kind of where I'm looking at for them this year. Just can they improve enough either with running the ball or playing defense that they can, you know, win some games that they probably shouldn't. Now we're going to bring up the Philadelphia Eagles. 
they added Alshon Jeffrey to kind of give um, Carson Wentz a, a big target and an and a actual number one receiver that they can count on. Um, seems like the Eagles have, you know, tried to improve their secondary. Um, they've made a trade in the offseason. They drafted a, um, defensive linemen, try to add more pressure to help out their secondary. So um, we'll start with Tyler this time. Tyler, um, what do you see in Philly? Just uh, another year of building or or do you see them, you know, sneaking up on some teams who, you know, are taking them lightly just because they don't really have on paper have any, you know, weapons on offense. But their defense is actually really good, really fast. Yeah, they're they're one of the teams that can that can uh force a few turnovers and they can limit your offense. Um I look for them to be giving up maybe maybe three touchdowns a game, anywhere between twenty one and twenty four and a half points a game. But them scoring, that's another issue. Um Carson Went I mean uh yeah, Carson Wentz had the the um dishonorable distinction of playing with the NFL's worst wide receiving core. It was bad. It was just, yeah, really bad. How bad? Their number one receiver was actually used in a trade, and that team that received him somehow got better. Uh, just uh, The Eagles actually got better by, by his subtraction. Um, Jordan Matthews was horrible. And, yes, I can just that because he was on my fantasy team. He was awful. Drop balls. Uh, poor route running. More drop balls. And then on top of that, you have Nelson Aguilar, who's a borderline bust so far. Uh, you know, Greg came with great fanfare from USC, and actually that's a, a bit of a problem too. Um, your, your USC receivers have, over the last decade, have been a little fraudulent. But anyway, Agilor now becomes the number one guy on this team, and he's got to produce because right now it's, it's looking bust-like. And for a receiver, if you aren't catching – at least 70 to 75% of the balls thrown to you are, you know, especially when you're billed as a big target and you can be, uh, you can be physical. Um, that's, that's not good. We have no clue what Philly has as far as uh, the running game goes. Um, Wentz is just going to be firing plenty of shots because right now they, they don't know who's going to run the football. So it's right. another year of development overall, but they just won't score enough points to keep up with teams. Mm-hmm. And bias, your thoughts on Philadelphia? Um, what's there to think? <laughs> I mean, seriously, what's there to think? Uh, what are your thoughts? On, give me, give me this. Do you think that Carson Wentz uh, will be able to compete with that Prescott over the next decade? For I mean, because these are the two teams with the best young quarterback situation in the division. Man, don't nobody know that answer. Like, and again, I, 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 I don't mean to sound dismissive. I really don't. It's just. I think that's one of the things that annoys me the most about sports talk. We say, well, this guy's going to be like, for instance, okay, with the Braves, they're talking about Ender NCRT, right? Really good mm-hmm. center fielder, won a gold glove last year, probably won it this year. Well, the Braves are hoping he's going to be their center fielder for the next 10 years. Well, but then they got this kid, Ronald Acuna, who they're saying is similar to Andrew Jones when he was 19. So wouldn't he be the, the Braves center fielder for the next 10 years? Man, we don't fucking know. Like, we don't know. But, I mean, right now, they're both two good young quarterbacks. Um, I need to see a little bit more of Carson Wentz. And I need to see more of Dak, too. Because I don't I don't know. Because, oh, Dak did some really good things last year. We also did some bad things, too, that were matched by that really good defensive line. Offensive line, excuse me. Those good running backs, he still had the man Jay Witten. You know what I'm saying? So, 
Who is Dak Prescott? I don't know. And I damn sure don't know who Carson Wentz is. So to say they're going to be battling for the next 10 years uh, is definitely a bit engaging in hyperbole. But I, I want to see what they both do this year. As far as the Eagles, I don't really – I look at their offensive line. It's I. I look at their defensive line. It's decent. I look at their receivers core. They okay. Like, they're not really bad in any area, but they're not really exceptional in anything. So, you know, they're about a fitty-fitty kind of team to me. If, yeah. But then, you know, hey, maybe a break or two goes away, and they go from an 8-8 eight and eight team to a 10-16. and 16. Maybe a couple breaks go against them. Damn, man, mute your phone, bro. Oh, eat that ass <laughs> nigga. All right, anyway. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, all beefing and all messing up my thoughts, man. I mean, what are you eating over there? But anyway, but back to what I was saying. Um... I don't know what they're going to be other than an average team, average in the NFL, can range anywhere from 7 to 9 to 10 and 6, depending on how the ball goes, and that's what we'll find out, and that's why we watch. Right, right. I think I think Philly is in the best position in the, the in the division, though, because nobody's expecting much from them, and they have, you know, another year or two to add some more pieces before they get any real expectations. And as long as they can keep their quarterback healthy, you know, that's only going to be good. Uh, you know, we always have these debates about what's best. Should a quarterback sit? Should he be thrown in there and play right away? I think it just depends on how good your offensive line is. If you can protect them decently enough where he's not going to take 50 sacks, then I don't see why you don't play your young quarterback like Philly did the first year, get him out there, let him see all he can, and then, you know, prepare him for the next season. You know, the, you know we supposedly have a little bit more talent and he's got some more experience and hopefully all that comes together by year three or four. And I think then that's when we can really figure out if Philly is good or not after one good draft. But you know, that could also go the, the other way too. look at Jared Goff. <laughs> so, you know, if you don't have the offensive line, then you kind of want to, uh, you may want to sit him because, you know, right. that's, that's one of those confidence breaking type things when you're, you're always flat on your back. Look at, um, right. look at the, uh, the car brothers. Totally different in how they ended up. Uh, you know, David Carr, great offensive line, produces right away. Derek? No, David. I mean, uh, David was the, you got to reverse. David was the one who played for Houston when they had no offensive yeah. line. Yeah, mm-hmm. got killed like 60 sack seasons back to back. Right. Yeah, now Derek, Derek is has. The one, you know, he comes <laughs> in and plays right away. Yeah, but again, uh, again, like we were just stating, the Raiders offensive line were much more equipped to protect him and keep him from, you know, getting abused. He got his sacks just by being inexperienced, but he didn't get abused, which is what happened to David Carr. So the NFC East, uh, we'll go with projections right quick, Tyler. Uh, Do you think the Cowboys finished first again? Yeah, I think they're going to, uh, I'm going to go conservative because I'm going to assume that Zeke Zeke is out for six games. And fortunately they only missed one divisional game and that's against the Giants. So let's do this. Let's go conservative. Let's let's say they finish ten and six. Giants finish ten and six. Dallas gets the tiebreaker. Uh, Washington at seven to nine. Eagles six and ten. Okay, Tobias, you you want to throw some numbers out, or you just or just you know order who you how they think you Man. how you think the teams are going to finish? Uh, look, I think Dallas should win that division. I think second will be a toss up between the Giants and the Eagles and. I think the Washington football team will be last. So, um, and I think a lot of it will contend who finishes second based upon how the Eagles and the Giants play against each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have the same thing that you guys have. I'm just going to switch Washington and Philly from the biases. Uh, 
prediction. I, I think Washington will be a little bit better than Philly. Uh, in the last few years, we've actually had Philly's number swept in the last three years. So hopefully that trend continues. Um, the measuring stick that I always uh, use for the Redskins team is the Giants. That seems that seems to be the team when we they have a decent team, they do well against them, and when they don't do well against them, we usually miss the playoffs. So I'll have Dallas first, Giants second, Redskins finishing third, and Philly bringing up the rear for the NFC East. Now, this time, we want to let everybody know that Know the Score this week is brought to you by Amazon.com. You can uh, support the podcast by shopping at Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Visit our website at CSPN.us. Click on the banner that says, Keep Our Podcast Free. Then click on the Amazon link. Do your shopping as you normally would. Some of your purchase comes back to the network, which helps keep all the podcasts here on the network free. So please, CSPN us and amazon.com do it today all right next we're going to get into the nfc south where we had the reigning nfc uh defending champions the atlanta falcons uh came from this division uh we had tampa bay finishing second carolina and new orleans bringing up the rear so again atlanta is going to have to come off one of the most devastating losses in super bowl history as um for Two and a half, mostly three quarters. It looked like they were going to be celebrating, uh, you know, winning their first ever Super Bowl. And then Tom Brady, you know, does what Tom Brady does and basically snatched the trophy away from him. So, Nabias, what's the feeling in Atlanta? Do they feel like this team is going to be, um, you know, still burdened by the hangover of the Super Bowl? Or with Kyle Shanahan being removed from the situation and having a new offensive coordinator, has that kind of, you know, got the bad feeling, bad taste out of their mouths where they don't have to look at that guy and always know well, that I mean, his play calling might have cost them the ultimate prize? All right, geez, that's like five questions there. All right, I'll try to make it as simple as possible. I mean, one, yeah, look. We can say once about the play calls. The bottom line is whatever's called, whatever's called has to be executed. If nothing else, the Falcons' offense was rested because in the second half, the Patriots would have run, run up and down the ball. I really thought that game was finally over once Julio made the catch. But unfortunately, Matt Ryan, you know, can't take that sack. And I think one of the things that annoyed me in Matt Ryan's comments, and maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong, I have to go back and read uh, the Bleach Report story. Or was it CBS? Um, Pete Prisco, yeah, Pete Prisco did a thing with him. I got to go back and read. But I never saw Matt Ryan say, you know what? I can't take that sack. Maybe he did say it, but I don't remember seeing him say it. I remember Matt Ryan saying, well, I didn't agree with the play call. Okay, fine. I mean, shit. Every day we get things we don't agree with. I do a feature every week that I don't agree with, but I do that shit. <laughs> Why? Because it's what I got to do. No offense, John. Sorry. Still love you. I know you listen. But anyway, that being said, I do that shit every week, and I do that shit on time because it's what it is, right? But that being said, you know, yeah, could the Falcons have ran the ball three times and maybe kick that field goal after Hula makes that catch? Yeah. But, who? I mean, Matt Ryan still can't take that sack, bottom line. But, you know, as far as, I guess, getting over the game, you know, I really haven't been to much training because I've been very busy with Bray, so I haven't been much. But from talking to people I know within the organization, uh, they've moved on the best they can. I mean, you know, a loss like that lingers with you. Of course it lingers with you, and it's going to be there forever. Um, I think the only way the taste really fully gets out of the mouth is if the Falcons win a Super Bowl, and maybe two Super Bowls, really. Because, I mean, that that, cause that thing, that, that, you know, 28-3 is going to linger as long as sports and memes exist. And I don't see memes and sports going anywhere, so it's going to always be there. Anytime the Falcons get up big in a game this year, it's going to be, well, you know, 28-3. 
It's like, you know, when I lived in Cleveland and prior to the Cavs winning the championship, every time there was a big Cavs game, you know, it was the 50 years of futility for the Cleveland sports fan. And that's going to be the same thing for Atlanta. As far as now the players, keep in mind, they're playing the games so and they don't see that shit. The fans do. And, you know, fans only matter but so much, right? So I think the Atlanta fan isn't over it. I think Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons are as over it as they can be. I also think that the Atlanta Falcons with Matt Ryan, with Julio Jones, with Dante Freeman, with, you know, that defense and the young boy Tack McKinley and all these good defenders that the Falcons have and have brought back. I think on paper they are somewhere between a 10 to 12 win team. I think they are a better team than they were last year, but they may not win more games because you know how it goes when you win. The schedule, quote-unquote, gets tougher. I don't like to judge by schedule, as I said earlier, because we don't know what any team is yet. But from what I have seen of the Falcons and from people I've talked to in and around the Falcons and in and around the league, they should be, like I said, somewhere between a 10 to 12 win team. And if a ball or two rolls right, maybe a, you know, 13, 14 game winner. I don't know. But, you know, they have a chance to win the NFC South, which I think they will. And I think they're going to be a good team. Does it mean they win the Super Bowl? I don't know. But I think the Falcons are set up with the majority of their guys being young and under controllable contracts, um, bringing everybody back. Mute your mic, bro. Um, all right. And last thing, I'm going to get off this and you know, let, let, let my man Tyler and everybody else get in here, is um, I do think – one of the issues will be not even an issue because I think it's a good thing. I think, you know, they got Dante Freeman done. They have all the defensive guys done. I think everybody's pretty much locked and loaded under contracts for a while. So I think the Falcons have a chance to be like the Seattle Seahawks were, where they're in the conversation every year, like the Patriots, where they're in the conversation every year, like the Colts with um, Peyton Manning. They're in the conversation every year. And in the NFL, that's all you can ask for. And what you hope is at some point you get one out of it. And I think at some point in the next two to five years, the Falcons will get one. You heard it here first, folks. Nobias Wilborn said in the next two to five years, the Falcons will win the Super Bowl. So, Tyler, what are your thoughts no, on I mean, Atlanta? I'm serious. I mean, like, I, I'm not just saying that. I mean, oh, I, no, I, I, I agree with you because I was going to make the point that I see them set up the way that Seattle was, too. But you beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, and, and let me explain what I mean by that real quick. Because I, I, um, I think it's very important. There in my experience being around sports, there are two types of owners. There's ones who want to win, and there's ones who have to win. And I think Arthur Blank is in a have-to-win type deal, right? Like, I think Daniel Snyder has to win, too, but he goes about it wrong. I mm-hmm. think Arthur Blank is a guy who has to win, but he wants to go about it in a way that's healthy and consistent. So that means he's going to invest the money, spend the money, and get the players and put the players in a situation where they can best succeed and win. And I think that's where the Falcons, at some point in the next two to five years, will be a Super Bowl champion. Well, Arthur Blank, he does one thing that I think a lot of, especially if you're a Jerry Jones or a Dan Snyder, just can't seem to fathom is, he doesn't have a problem going 3-13 and 13 and being 6-10 and 10 back-to-back. You know, if it means that in for the next five to seven of these years, we're going to be really good. And I think that Dan Snyder... I'll speak for him. He just has this thing where he's, he just doesn't want to hit rock bottom. And sometimes you got to be bad for a couple of years back to back to be good for a decade. You know what I mean? You got to kind of, at some point, you can't always be picking, like in the NBA, when we come to Atlanta Hawks, you can't always be picking 12th 
and expect to, you know, improve your team. At some point, you got to hit rock bottom so you can just get better. And I think Atlanta did that a couple of seasons ago, and now they're starting to get all the benefits from that. So, Tyler, we'll let you jump in and, uh, you know, tell us what you see uh, from Atlanta uh, in their upcoming season. Um, I think that uh, two play. I like to look at two players, uh, one on each side of the ball, that will help determine uh, whether or not the Falcons are really improved. Uh, one would be the uh, Vic Beasley from uh, who's actually going to be upgraded to a pass rushing type uh, type end. Where is he going to be? Is he going to be is he going to be as productive as he was last year? Actually, they're looking for him to do a bit more. Um, he's he is emerging as the leader of that defense, and it's a defense that's aggressive. Uh, they they like to take chances, but they're at the same time they um, they can actually p- play back and you know play coverage because they get pressure on the quarterback. Um, this team has the potential. This defense has the potential to be very, very, very good. Um, with a uh, healthy Tack McKinley, uh, who is actually another uh, potentially dominant pass rusher, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if if he and Beasley team up for twenty sacks. Um, I really, really like their their motor, um, their potential to get around the um, get around offensive linemen. Um, you know, McKinley's kind of been naggered. Um, he's kind of had a nagging uh, shoulder injury. But he's had surgery, and it's and he got in his first action this preseason, and he looked pretty decent. So, um, but between those two, yeah, Atlanta's going to be a serious threat defensively. They're going to be able to stop teams and get them off the field, which will turn over the ball to their deadly offense. And you know what's coming when you have Freeman and you have uh, you have Matt Ryan, you have Julio Jones, uh, particularly. You know, Atlanta comes with two backs, but. The t- the player that's going to really push this team forward is Muhammad Sanu. If Sanu can give you the seventy balls, the you know eight or nine touchdowns, uh, he gives you that possession type receiver that you're always looking for. Um, you know he's got big hands, he's physical, he can get deep as well. You go, you can go to him as much times as you want, and then that'll set up for the big the you know the big plays to Julio. Atlanta's going to be almost impossible to stop as far as offenses go. Even in a shootout with with a team like Dallas or the New York Giants, you know, they're going to be equally as as deadly because, you know, they can run the football as well. They can run the football like Dallas and they can throw the football like the Giants. So Mm -hmm. I like this offense. And, and, you know, with with that attack and defense causing some turnovers, I wouldn't be surprised if they're right back in the Super Bowl. They get a lot of sacks. Um, that's their thing. I think Atlanta's pressure. Um, that was one of the things that I told a lot of people through the playoffs. I was like, you know, a lot of teams are afraid of Tom Brady. They never press his little receivers. They play so much cushion and let those guys just run around and take the little five yards. And Atlanta for three quarters was, I mean, they play some of the best press coverage I've ever seen against the Patriots. It just, they, they, they play too many plays and they got tired. They couldn't sustain it. But the concept and the strategy that uh, Gus Brad um, that he used in that particular game was the right was the right 
ploy and it, and it basically shut the Patriots down. So, um, you know, I think they're only going to improve on it this year. Just the experience playing deep and a lot of those young players on defense understanding, you know, what it takes to not gas out in the game of that high caliber, I think is going to oh, definitely and, and be. Side note, could you imagine being Arthur Blank in the third quarter of that game? You're up, you're up big, right? And, you know, as an owner, you're thinking a big picture, right? You're thinking, where's the parade going to be? Um, who's the first person I'm going to talk to? Are we going to go to the White House? Um, you know, imagine he's thinking about getting that Thursday night game as the opening game in the brand new stadium. Think about all these things he's thinking and then slowly watching that thing tick down. That's a story that hasn't been told yet. And, I, and, he, and he may not tell it for a long time, but I would love to know what was going through his mind as that clock continued to wind down and then getting into that fourth quarter and then as that game ends and going from how am I going to design the ring? Because, you know, all these guys, they know what the ring's going to look like, right? So they have, like, <laughs> what's the ring going to look like? And, you know, just all these different things. Then he's, you know, at the point where you're up 28-3, you've beaten the Patriots like nobody ever has. And it all comes crashing down. I can't imagine – where his mind is because I mean, you go from, you know, getting that Thursday night game and you're a brand new stadium. You know how NBC does it with all those blimp shots and all those things going on. You know, that thing is going to look pretty. And now you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure whatever a high price scotch he likes, he drank a lot of it uh, that night after the Super Bowl. Um, And then on top of that, the, the ring ceremony for the, for the, uh, the ring party for the Patriots, which is a double whammy. They emblazoned 28 to 28 to three in diamonds, and they have Atlanta native Gucci man perform. Batting insult to injury. <laughs> yeah, Robert Kraft, he's a cold. Cool, he's think he's, Blake he's a about Gucci man. But I mean, I don't think Blake, I don't know who the hell Gucci man is. But the rest <laughs> of that, yeah. I mean, but again, you know, that's, that's part of what happens when you lose, and you lose in historic fashion. Right. Now, the team in the NFC South that a lot of people are, have their eye on this year because they expect their offense to just be off the chart, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, they've added Deshaun Jackson uh, from the Redskins to give them a deep threat. They drafted O.J. Howard, who has just been a man amongst men, uh, I mean, a man amongst boys uh, playing tight end at Alabama the past few years. They still have a kind of question mark here at running back. Doug Martin is suspended for the first four games of the season. They're not sure if he's actually going to make the team uh, this year. So they have some question marks there. Defensively, they've been improving. They've got Joe McCoy along the line, one of the fastest linebacking crews in the league, and their secondary is up and coming as well. Um, Tampa Bay is a team I think a lot of people have their eyes on to be a wild card team and to make some noise if they can get into the playoffs this year. Nabias? Anything special uh, jumping out about Tampa Bay? Have you been checking out Hard Knocks to kind of, you know, get a vibe of the team? Whatever you're saying is you're on mute, Nabas. Oh, that was me? Okay, my bad. Um, I mean, look, man. First of all, Hard Knocks is such an interesting show. And by the way, if you guys like Hard Knocks, Amazon does a really great show. It comes on at the end of the season, though. So right now they have the Rams, and it is fascinating. They go in deep for the whole season on a team, but – that's like Hard Knocks on steroids. But Hard Knocks is still an interesting show because you get all this great access. Even for me, as a guy who's covered these teams and has had really good access, they get more access than I could ever even dream of. So um, you do get to see a lot of James Winston. I think he's a great kid. I mean, obviously he did those things in college and or didn't do those things, depending on what you believe. And I'm not here to legislate that today. But, you know, you have to mention it, that 
that he has been accused of things and charged with crimes. That being said, since he's been to the league, he has been an upstanding person, and I think the sky's the limit for him. And they have a chance to be pretty good this year. Um, they do have a lot of they do have a lot of talent on offense. Their defense has gotten better. They have a solid offensive line, and they rush the quarterback on defense. So yeah, I mean those those are generally formulas for a pretty good team. I mean they gave the Falcons hell both times they played them last year. They always stay in games. I mean they they got a chance, man. Like I said, they got a chance to do some good. The NFC South, as we'll continue to discuss here, is a tough division, but you know why can't? they win somewhere between eight to 10 games uh, with a better field goal kicker. They probably would have been in the playoffs last year. Um, that's, you know, was a big thing that held them back as my cousin is a huge Tampa Bay fan. And we watched a lot of games and he suffered through a lot of missed field goals. that could have, um, you know, extended leads out or got them close and, and kept them in games. So um, if they can improve their special teams, you know, most notably field goal kicking, Tampa Bay is definitely going to be uh, right there in the mix, uh, battling with Atlanta. Uh, Tyler, your thoughts on Tampa Bay? Uh, yeah, I was going to say that was one of the first big moves of the sh- of the show was them cutting Roberto Aguayo, who's um, you know he's considered to be one of the best kickers of all time at Florida State, and he just had a terrible rookie season. And for for some for a team to spend a high draft pick on him. Uh, it, it, it was really a guy who fell on rough times and it's still not that great going for him because he actually got picked up by Chicago and he missed two kicks in their, in his uh, first preseason game since, uh, since he was there. So uh, it's been rough for him. And I also, I think that the upgrade in special teams, I also want to see how good Mike Evans really, really is. Um, you know, we we've seen flashes. We've seen him be be great, uh, even with you know Jameis Thorn interceptions. But if we if you can get Mike Evans the football, it sets up for everybody else. Uh, you know, even Deshaun Jackson, who's who can stretch the field. Evans has the great talent of being that physical receiver who is just not only bigger than everybody else, but he's still fast. So. I that's you know he's one of my favorite targets to have uh, and definitely a great fantasy guy to pick up because uh, Jameis likes him and Jameis goes to him a lot. Uh, I also like whoever whoever play whoever's going to be the starting tight end, uh, you know, be it Howard or or be it someone else. That's also a good fantasy pickup because they're going to throw a lot the ball a lot more than usual. Um, yeah, I think the only I thing that's kind of surprised if he starts throwing if Jameis throws on average about thirty to thirty-two throws a game. So but he's that's going to be the only thing for them, though, is can he get a, a handle on his interception problem? Um, like you said, they've got all these great weapons now, and it's going to entice them to try to be, you know, more of a throw first, you know, put points up on the board type team. But that only is going to work for them for so long, as long as James doesn't throw the ball to the other team. And that's kind of been his one deficiency that he has yet to kind of shake and show that he's got a handle on is just, you know, not throwing up so many balls for grabs like he did in the in the preseason game. You're down there I in the like red zone. One deficiency, like it's not like a major issue. But <laughs> well, I mean. Considering that, you know, when you watch Robert Griffin as your quarterback and he can't read the defense or doesn't know how to slide and step up in the pocket, there could be more than, you know, a lot more going on that you, could, you know, could call a deficiency. But just, you know, throwing to the other. Hey, man, Vinny Testaverde survived in the league for 16 years and he threw to the wrong team.
game all the time. So, I mean, it's not a, a hindrance per se to get, get you out of the league, but it will hold your team back from winning football games when they're very good. So, if he can cut down on his, yeah, if he can <laughs> cut down on his turnovers, man, uh, there is no telling how good Tampa Bay is going to be this year because they're going to put a lot of strain on a lot of defenses, even the defenses in uh, NMC South, who, you know, three out of the four teams have really good defense. They're still going to, they're going to put a lot of pressure on, on these defenses. Um, a team that we're looking to see if it can bounce back will be the Carolina Panthers as they, you know, had a, a Super Bowl hangover last year. Cam Newton was banged up, bad offensive line caught up with him. Um, you know, he had, you know, various injuries all season, ended up having to have uh, surgery on his shoulder in the off season. So uh, he just saw his first action of the preseason this past week drafted Christian McCaffrey try to add some more punch um in their you know running game and passing attack as he's a dual threat um they've added some more defensive linemen uh try to get their pass rush back to where it was a few seasons ago still going to come down to do they have enough um offensive line to protect cam particularly at their uh tackle spots um they've got Khalil he's pretty solid but they kind of have a question mark on the other side and you know so that will probably be the biggest question that the Panthers fight all season is uh you know, can they protect Cam and can they open up enough holes to run the ball? So, Tyler, um, some thoughts about the Carolina Panthers and what you see for them coming this season. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually um, hyped about watching the Panthers play. You know, there's always a, a interest in the team that's kind of local to you, and because the Panthers are local to me, I've always, you know, taken a look at them. Um, I really like Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I think that he's a a potential guy who can you know he can make a play when the ball's in his hands I, I I like what he does I like him being a threat out of the backfield he's a threat that traditionally the Car- the Panthers do not have um, in the course of their franchise they've always had a back that was a threat between the tackles uh, you know the Stephen Davises the Tambiaka Batukas the Fred Lanes of the world uh, those type of those type of bruisers uh they haven't had the guy who can, you know, really catch passes out of the backfield, but yet still be effective. You know, D'Angelo Williams was probably the closest thing to that. But I think that McCaffrey is a is is an even better threat than D'Angelo Williams was. Um, you still got the Calvin Benjamin question: um, is he is he going to be healthy? Uh, of course, much was made about him going into training camp well overweight. Uh, tight end size, as as described by even his own his own coaches, uh, that's a, that's a major concern. Uh, another one would be the secondary receiving threat. Uh, no, no, uh, Ted Ginn this this time. Um, you know, so you've got to find another guy that Cam Newton has to get the ball to. Um, and I think that any time that Cam Newton finds another weapon to get the ball out of his hands and keep him from having to run the ball, uh, you know, one hundred fifty to two hundred times. You, I think that Carolina office is better off. Um, I know that he's a threat. I know that when they run the read option, they get a lot of good results. But I'm just not sure if Newton, uh, especially with now he's nursing a a injured shoulder, who's you know he's kind of he's probably back healthy now. But at the same time, you don't want him to be at risk with running him so much. Defensively, Josh losing Josh Norman as it turned out was a really big deal because uh, as it turned out, Carolina's Carolina likes to press cover a lot. And when they couldn't, when they couldn't have a guy that could cover the slot guy, 
uh, that kind of opened up the field against them defensively. So uh, they're still looking to they're still looking to improve, and particularly in the secondary where they started two rookie corners. So right now it's just up in the air for them. Um, of course, the linebacking crew is is secure. You have you still have Thomas Davis and two, Luke Keekley, which are two of probably the league's top uh, ten best individual uh, defense uh, linebackers. Particularly Keekley. Keekley is probably number one on several people's lists. So uh, he he's back and he's healthy. Uh, the front four is still uh, potent. They can still get to the pass. They can still get to the passer, uh, and they can actually uh, stop the run. It's just a matter of when they don't get home. When they don't get home, and they force Carolina to blitz, uh, that leaves their secondary exposed, and that's still going to be an issue. All right, Nabias, uh, what do you see going forward for Carolina this year? Man, um, I don't know because um, they're in a they're in a precarious situation, right? Because I mean, how healthy is Cam Newton? I think that's the answer that we don't have yet because we don't know how healthy he is. If he's if he's legitimately healthy, then hey, they might be back. You know, I, I think a healthy Cam Newton is worth at least four to six wins on his own as a quarterback. The question is, do they have enough around him to get another two or three wins to then make them into the conversation? But I do think the NFC South this year can have three playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I do as well. So I mean. And I know on these things you're supposed to have like these definitive strong opinions, but sometimes you just don't know. And I don't know because I don't know how healthy Cam Newton is. If he's healthy and he's right and he's engaged, then hey, shit, they can win eight. They can win eight to ten games, easy. If he ain't, they gonna have some problems. I did it last year. What'll be interesting to me is to see how much uh, Christian McCaffrey lines up as a slot receiver. If they're going to just, you know, kind of spoon feed him and just have him be a running back this year and, you know, just have him be involved in the passing game out of the backfield, or if they're going to give him a little bit more and have him do like what Le'Veon Bell does where, you know, you come out one way and then once you set your motion up, he becomes like your slot receiver and then, you know, causes a lot of problems to the opposing defense who may have had their, you know, base defensive package in there, but then all of a sudden you come out in a formation that, you know, is more suited for a nickel defense, and now you've got McCaffrey against a linebacker or a safety who can't cover him one-on-one. So um, he may end up being the kind of secondary receiving option for for Kelvin Benjamin if they, you know, use him as a slot receiver, you know, as much as they can, because I, it, he can do so many things. Um, he's going to add a whole lot of variance to their offense that they, like Tyler was saying, that they haven't really had since they've had Cam as a quarterback, um, somebody who can play off of him. I mean, they could literally run like a triple option and have Cam Stewart and McCaffrey in the backfield, you know, if they just want to get creative around the goal line and, you know, scare people. So there's a lot of cool things they could do having him. It's just going to be cool to see how much they give him uh, in his rookie season. And the final team that we'll be talking about will be the New Orleans Saints. Uh, New Orleans Saints have kind of going to be a strange team to me this year. They've added Adrian Peterson to Mark Ingram. So now they've got two very good running backs. They lost their best receiving deep threat in Brandon Cooks as they traded him over to the Patriots. Um, Their defense, their secondary is bad. Uh, Their linebackers are bad. Their defensive line is actually pretty good. Um, 
uh, they've got Jordan on their defensive line. He's a he's a stud. But um, I'm going to be really interested to see uh, how New Orleans works on offense this year um, with having you know the best uh, running back of a generation right now, and Adrian Peterson on their team with a quarterback as good as Drew Brees. But we know that Sean Payton and Drew Brees really like to throw the ball, so. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how th- that plays itself out. Um, Tyler, what are your thoughts about New Orleans? Uh, New Orleans is, is an enigma to me. Um, are they going to be playing in in 35, 34 to 31 shootouts? Or are they going to be in the, in the you know, they're going to run Peterson as many times as possible and slow the game down and play in your uh, – 27-24, uh, you know, quote-unquote, shootouts. So they're going to give up a lot of points. We know that. We know that as soon as as soon as soon you uh, you run the ball against them and you can you have play action, they're going, you can beat their secondary D. So that means is Adrian Peterson going to get taken out because they're going to fall behind and they're going to throw the ball downfield. I'm not concerned about the receiving core, even though – Brandon Cooks is a massive loss, but I'm still not going to worry about the receiving court because Breeze is going to get enough opportunity to throw the ball, and as long as you catch it, you're going to get yards and you're going to get points. So it's just only a matter of time before the Saints have to do a full-scale rebuild. But right now, now that you've got Breeze, you may as well let him let him do whatever he wants, throw the ball down the field, and hope that your defense is going to somehow make enough plays for you to be uh, somewhere around uh, – Seven and nine, eight and eight, and you're fighting for a playoff spot in the last week of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, very good observation. Um, you know, just what type of game plan are they going to use each weekend and week out? Uh, Nabias, um, what do you feel about Sean Payton? Is, do you think this is his make or break season in New Orleans? Um, maybe, but we've been saying that for the last two years, right? We've been saying that, seriously. Every year we say that, at least the last two, three seasons. Um, look, the Saints, they won their Super Bowl, what was that, 09? Yeah. It's 2017. You understand what I'm saying? Yep, I understand. <laughs> so we're still talking about them as if the, and, and I know people, because I'm from Atlanta, people think I'm hating on the Saints, and I, I ain't got no problem with the Saints themselves. I think Saints fans are fucking ridiculous, but, like, the team itself and the organization, I got no problem with that. But that being said, like, we talk about the Saints, as if though they're relevant and they're not, and they're not gonna be. Look, 09 was a great year and they won, and I'm not taking that from them. Shout out to New Orleans, shout out to that city. It deserved that Super Bowl. And I don't and I don't use the word deserve in sports often. I think that's often bullshit. But they deserve that. Good for them, they got it. But what have they done since? What have they done before? I think they've had maybe four playoff wins to combine in the in this um eight years, maybe. Right. And in their franchise history, they've had, what, a combined six? Yep. So that's why I always kills me when New Orleans fans talk about the Falcons. Because it's like, you've only won six fucking playoff games in your whole entire year. I may be wrong on that number, but it ain't more than, it ain't, it ain't ten. You've only won six playoff games, and three of them are in one year. And I, look, and I give them credit for the Super Bowl. But to see here, not like you have the history of the Green Bay Packers, or even the recent history of the Patriots, or what the Colts were doing back in the day. You ain't on that level, bro. And they're going to be 79 again because Drew Brees is still Drew Brees. Maybe 8-8. Eight and eight, But they're going to be 50-50 because that's what they are now. That's who they are. That's who they've been for the last 
five, six years. Yeah, because they're, they're, the bottom line is they're another team that, uh, you know, there's about maybe half the league. And this, this is my summary on the league itself. you got 16 teams that are potentially playoff teams. They've built their squad. They've got enough talent on both sides of the ball to be effective. Then you have New Orleans. You have one or two great players past their prime. You have maybe one or two up-and-coming players maybe that are maybe young, maybe still on their first contract or whatever. And then you may have two or three decent veterans. That's still not going to be enough to put you in the elite side or be one of the top you know, 12 or 13 teams that have a legit chance to win a Super Bowl. And right now, uh, the Saints need to make a decision on Sean Payton. Do they blow it up, start over, which, I mean, it's going to be done anyway. So why not do it now? Why not? Or, or are you waiting to assure yourselves of another franchise quarterback? Because right now, um, honestly, quarterback development is the number one weakness of the National Football League. And you really aren't sure if you're going to find another franchise quarterback. It's a cra- It's literally a crapshoot. You're throwing darts every year when it comes to picking amongst the quarterbacks. So, however, we all know that that's the key to a franchise. So, Whenever you decide to get rid of Sean Payton, be it after this year or after next year, you're going to have to draft a, a quarterback as well. So I think when that time comes, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be two or three years later now because the quarterback class is so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, the, the the Saints, their whole last like four or five seasons is just based on what people think of what you, when you have a top three quarterback, just how much value they put on having – one of these, you know, top three to five quarterbacks. And the, the Saints are definitely that team. They're only relevant because Drew Brees is still their quarterback. If Drew Brees wasn't their quarterback, Sean Payton would have been fired a long time ago. But because Drew Brees is so good and so consistent, he always gives you a chance, even if you have a bad defense, even if you don't really have a great running game, you know, he can get you close enough where you're always competitive. And sometimes that's the that's the fool's goal is, you know, having a quarterback that is better than everybody else on your team so it uplifts you and makes you think you're a little bit better than you are when you're not. And I think that's where the Saints are right now. Well, let's be honest also. If I'm ownership, I'm making money having Drew Brees as my quarterback and holding off a full-scale rebuild. So if I'm making money as an owner, what what am I going to do? I'm going to keep making money and milk the cow as long as possible. So... That's why they have not just, they have not moved on from Drew Brees. Think about the Green Bay Packers when uh, Aaron Rodgers was there and why Green Bay held on to Brett Favre as long as he could. And then when they were ready, uh, they were willing to not only trade Brett Favre, they traded him to the rival because they've had so much confidence in Aaron Rodgers. Is it going to take a situation like that to get rid of to uh, – I want to say get rid of. Get rid of is a harsh term, but – to make that transition from Drew Brees as possible because I'm pretty sure they don't feel like they have whoever, uh, whoever backup that they have right now, they're not confident in him to take over. So I guess, you know, they're, they're willing to accept being seven and nine and people showing up and watching the other teams in the division outperform them at year in and year out. All right. So the bias, uh, give us an order of finish um, for the NFC South. You guys, you're on mute in the bias. All right, I got Falcons first, Tampa second, Carolina third, New Orleans fourth. That's just how okay. I see it right now. Same way that they finished last year. Tyler, yeah, same I mean, for you? you know, 
Okay. Uh, when I'm putting into account that the pan that the uh, the NFC South scheduling is against the the uh, AFC East and the NFC North. So uh, to me, I'm going to put Atlanta at 11. Uh, I'm going to say Atlanta is going to be 12 and four. Uh, Tampa Bay uh, is just shy of 10 wins at nine and seven. I'm going to put Carolina at eight and eight and New Orleans at seven and nine. Uh, I'm going to go with Atlanta probably being a little bit less likely uh, to have such a great season. Uh, so they'll probably be like 11 and five. I'm going to say Tampa Bay is 10 and six, maybe 11 and five. Just it comes down to the tiebreaker. Uh, Carolina, I think it's going to be nine and seven. And then New Orleans, I think are going to be five and 11. I just don't think they're going to have enough defense to, to slow anybody down, regardless of how much uh, pressure Adrian Peterson can take off of them having to, you know, score every time they get the ball with Drew Brees, but I just don't see them having that defense to, to stop anybody. So I, th- I think that having playing the AFC East does help. You get right. Three games against, you get three games against the, uh, the Dolphins, uh, Bills, the Bills, and the, the Jets. Bills and the uh, and New York Jets. Jets. Yeah. So that helps a lot. <laughs> right, so right. Uh, I think that, you know, those, you know, my predictions are a little generous, but I do take it to affect that um, I'm, you know, playing the AFC, AFC East and the NFC North. Um, I mean, the NFC North, when you got Detroit, you got Minnesota, that's going to be enough. That's going to be interesting for the Saints when Adrian Peterson goes against his old team. Uh, I kind of, um, I kind of think that the style of play against those interconference matchups does favor the, the NFC South teams because uh, with the exception of Minnesota, because of uh, defensive, the defensive talent. Um, in the NFC South, so, uh, but yeah, eleven and five for eleven and five, twelve and four uh, for Atlanta doesn't seem too far fetched when you think about that. All right. So at this point, we're going to open it up to uh, Tyler and Nabias for their final thoughts. So we'll start with Nabias. Nabias, drop us your final thoughts, man. Well, you know, I mentioned early in the show the fight in Atlanta, right? I mean, like I don't know if I should call it that because uh, I'm still trying to you know learn more about the situation. But University of Illinois. They have dropped the Chiefs as their mascot. They did that a few years ago. Uh, and they also have since taken off what they call the war chant out of their um, fight song, right? So, you know, they do this drumbeat, war chant kind of thing. And good on them for respecting Native Americans and their wishes and the things that they desire and being more respectful. You know, it took a long time, but, you know, they're making steps. I think they still have another step to go because the kids are still wearing the Chief Indian, the Chief uniforms to games. I think that the they should stop that from happening. But, you know, they're making steps, man. So, you know, good on that university for realizing how flawed they were handling things, and hopefully they continue to do better by the students and themselves, man. So good on them, good on the University of Illinois, good on those students, and good on an athletic department. Now keep making steps, and, hey, I'm looking at you, Washington, you know, Atlanta Braves, so on and so forth. So also maybe consider making some steps in respect to our Native American brothers and sisters. All right. Uh, Tyler, your final thoughts, sir? Okay. Uh, I'm looking at uh, Giancarlo. I, I, I favorably call him Mike Stanton. Uh, of course, Giancarlo Stanton leads the National League in home runs. Um, he, he just cranked his uh, 49th this, uh, a couple of days ago. He is currently on, oh, quote, unquote, on pace 462. Uh, it's an interesting time for the Marlin franchise. It's been an emotional time for, for the franchise. Uh, as a lot of you know, that uh, there has been 
a effort to purchase the team uh, with a a uh, group led by Michael Jordan and uh, of course uh, Derek Jeter. Uh, this is also comes a year after one of the bright stars in in uh, sports overall, um, Jose Fernandez was killed in a boating accident. Of course, he was a outstanding pitcher for the Miami Marlins. So to see another player with Latin roots be considered the soul of the team is a pretty big deal, especially in Miami. Um, I definitely love to see Stanton do well. Um, I know that he's a big subject of trade rumors as new ownership comes in. Um, I know that uh, the real the real point that I have with it with this is that Stanton may be seen as the first quote unquote legit guy to uh, hit sixty home runs post the quote unquote steroid era. Um, that kind of statement uh, it still disturbs me to this day because I feel like um, I think baseball new the whole steroid conversation is up to baseball, and I think that sometimes the media puts too much emphasis on that particular error instead of discounting the uh, player's abilities, um, you know, to have it, to have, you know, Stan being considered as, you know, that this was this season as a, you know, one of the best seasons, of course, it does. of course, you know, that makes sense. But I think that when you discount guys like Bonds and McGuire, and those great players who did what they did for the game of baseball, because the game meant so much to them, um, I think that you kind of you're you're doing those great players a disservice. So you know, don't discount those players. Just give Stan his props and congratulate him on a great season for for doing what he's done. Because I know that that was a difficult time for what that organization has gone through in this past year. So any bright spot in for the Miami Marlins is a good thing. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, my uh, final thought is going to be a shout out and a thank you to uh, Beauty Jackson, a.k.a. Melanie, as Mel is moving on to bigger and greater things. Uh, she is um, stepping down from her position here at CSPN to embark on her own journey. And I just like to thank Mel because this was her idea. This was her baby as it started out. Um, you know, she put all four of us together and it was her idea to have a another score on CSPN and the original format and everything. So she was our producer um, rounding us up and making sure that we had topics and shows and things like that. So I just want to tell Mel that all her hard work that she has put in to make this podcast, what it has become, it's been greatly appreciated. Um, we would not be here if it wasn't for her and Siege. Um, this whole network is kind of built on the backs of the good and terrible show and the success that it had and we're definitely excited for their next big thing and also what we have going here moving forward at CSBN so just want to give a big shout out to Mel and um, you know good luck in your new endeavors so for my co-host Nabias Wilborn my other co-host Tyler Ball for our co-host that isn't here with us but we hope to talk to her soon that's so Jesse I'm Don DeLorente and now you know the score